Oh, good morning once again, uh, sisters and brothers who are here, and good morning uh, to our friends at home. Uh, we will uh, continue. Uh, we will we'll be looking at 1 Samuel 7 today. Uh, so if you've got that open in front of you, uh, that'll be helpful. Um, uh, let me lead us in prayer uh, as we begin. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you that we can uh, uh, come to you and we can uh, listen to your word uh, together, uh, whether we're at home uh, or at church. And we pray that you help us um, uh, to be listening to your word. We pray that you speak to us by your spirit uh, as we consider this passage together. Uh, Please enable me to preach it rightly uh, and in his power, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Leadership is a big issue in our world today, isn't it? Uh, Some of us might have been listening to speeches recently from the Democrat and Republican conventions uh, about the decisions that the Americans will have to make about leadership in their country. But in our own nation, more and more parties and alliances seem to be forming around leaders who each have their own agendas. Uh, Our opposition parties can't agree who should lead their alliance, And while our government parties do agree, we don't know if that agreement will still be there after the next election. Despite the proliferation of books and videos and courses on the subject, and despite the many people who seek power and influence, really good leadership is a scarcity in our world today. One of the big themes of 1 and 2 Samuel is the leadership of ancient Israel. Uh, At the beginning of 1 Samuel, God's people were in chaos. There was no king. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Priests cheated God and abused and threatened his people. The elders of Israel thought they could manipulate God, using his ark to gain victory over their enemies. But God is God. You can serve him, you can't use him. And Israel found out about that the hard way. They were defeated by their enemies, the Philistines. Many people died. The corrupt priests were killed in the battle. And the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord was sent into exile. But in the midst of all that, God had been working to bring about a change. And we saw at the beginning of the book how he answered Hannah's desperate prayer and gave her a son, Samuel, whom she gave back to the Lord. And we saw how Samuel grew and how he faithfully brought the word of God to Israel where there had been a famine of God's word for many years. And in this chapter, at last, we see him take his place as Israel's leader. Good leadership is going to be restored to Israel. But before we look at the passage, I'd like us to think a little bit about the approach we're going to take in applying it. We've already seen in this series that Samuel points forward to Jesus. He's the prophet we saw who points forward to Jesus, the ultimate prophet. Uh, We will see him today as the priest who points forward to Jesus, the ultimate priest. And we'll see him as a judge, a precursor to the kings who points forward to Jesus, the ultimate king. So when we come to apply this passage, we're not going to go directly from Samuel to us. Samuel points forward to Jesus. And as Samuel leads God's people in this narrative, so Jesus leads us. And so the primary way the passage applies to us is as the people of God, uh, just like the people of God in this passage. That's where we fit in. 
And so we've got to keep asking the question, how does this passage teach us to live as God's people, and how does it teach us to relate to Christ, his leader? But there'll be secondary applications as well. Now, Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so there are things that we can learn from the example of the people who follow Christ, and by implication, who point forward to him. And that may not be the primary application of the text, but they are there, and we can look at them as the scriptures equip us for every good work. Uh, and so as we look at the leadership of Samuel, and we see how it is like Christ's, we can carefully discern, under the control of the rest of scripture, how our own Christian leaders can learn from his example as they also seek to be like Christ. And we'll try and do that as well. Now, in order to understand the passage in its context, let's remember what happened last week. The Ark of the Covenant, where God's presence dwelt, was in Philistine territory, in exile. But God brought judgment on the Philistines, wherever they took it. And so finally, they sent it back to Israel. The Israelites at Beth Shemesh were happy to have the Ark back, but then God killed 70 of them when they looked upon the Ark. And they said, who, who is able to stand against the holy God? And so they asked the people of Kiriath-Jerim to come and take the ark. The ark went there. A priest was consecrated to look after it. And things seemed to go quiet. Time passed. A long time passes. In fact, 20 years have now passed as we enter verse 2 of 1 Samuel 7. And it says there that the whole house of Israel is lamenting after the Lord. Uh, from what Samuel says later, there's probably another Philistine threat that has triggered them. Twenty years ago, when this happened, they tried to manipulate God. This time, they mourned before him. That's better, isn't it? And as they lament, we meet Samuel again for the first time since chapter 3. Last time, they thought they could solve their Philistine problem on their own by using the things of God. This time, they are ready to listen to the word of God as it comes through his prophet. Friends, as God's people, this is the way forward. A few weeks ago, we learned that superstitious manipulation of God is the wrong way. This is the right way. When we are in distress... Let us humbly cry out to him and let us be ready to listen to his word. Samuel was God's leader who spoke God's word to God's people and called on them to be fully devoted to God. We will see that in verses 3 and 4. Right, Samuel says to Israel in verse 3, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel knows that God has made a covenant with Israel's ancestors back in Deuteronomy. If they loved God, they obeyed him, he would bless them in the land. If they worshipped other gods, he would curse them and hand them over to their enemies. And so Samuel calls them to get rid of their foreign gods, to be fully devoted to the Lord, and they obey God's word. Uh, verse 4 tells us that they put away the bows and Ashtoreth, and they serve the Lord 
only. Samuel was God's prophet who spoke God's word, called God's people back to his covenant with them. And he called them to be fully devoted to God and to God alone. Jesus is the ultimate prophet who speaks God's word to us and calls us back to God. He tells us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, all our mind, all our strength, and tells us that that is the great and first commandment. He tells us that we cannot serve two masters. Either we will love one and hate the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. He calls us to put aside everything and follow Him, to make Him our God, our ultimate priority in life. But Jesus doesn't just call us back to the old covenant as Samuel did. He gives us a new covenant, a covenant made in His blood, a covenant in which we are promised forgiveness of sins and eternal life, a covenant in which God places His law in our hearts uh, so that we can serve Him and obey Him all of our lives. Jesus is our ultimate leader who gives us far greater blessings than the blessings of the old covenant. And He calls us to be fully devoted to Him as Israel was to God. Well, on this occasion, Israel listened to Samuel and got rid of their idols. And brothers and sisters, we need to listen to Jesus. We are not our own. We've been bought with a price, the precious blood of Christ. We owe Him our full allegiance. There is only one God who made and rules the world. There is only one God who sent His Son to die for us and raised Him from the dead. There is only one God whom each and every person will stand before on the judgment day and give an account of our lives. There can be only one God whom we worship. Our loyalties cannot be divided. We cannot mix Christianity and another religion. We cannot worship the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ on one day and worship other deities on the next. We cannot worship Jesus as Lord and then make an offering to idols. God will not tolerate that. He must be our only God. But it's not just other religions. We cannot serve both God and money. We can serve God with money. We can be thankful to God for His provision of money. But we cannot serve both God and money. We cannot live for both God and our career. We can serve God by working hard and faithfully in our workplace. We can be thankful to God for our jobs, but we cannot serve God and serve career. We cannot have two masters. One of them will have our ultimate loyalty. Which one? Israel had to put away their idols when they heard God's word. And as the people of God, so must we. And if you're a leader among God's people, then one of your big tasks is to call God's people to give Him their full allegiance. As you meet with people one-on-one -on -one or in groups, help us as God's people to, to work out what it means to put away the idols in our lives. Be a leader like Jesus, like Samuel, 
who speaks God's word to God's people and calls on us to be fully devoted to him. And as God's people, let's do so. The next thing we see in this passage was that Samuel was also God's leader who prayed for God's people. All right, we see that in the results of that in verses 5 to 11. And after, after the, uh, the people got rid of their idols, uh, Samuel calls them together. He says in verse 5, Gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. Uh, they gather at Mizpah, they, they draw water, they pour it out before the Lord, and they fast as a, as a sign of mourning and repentance. For they say in verse 6, We have sinned against the Lord. All right, once again, big contrast to what happened 20 years ago. Right, instead of trying to manipulate God, what are they doing? They are humbling themselves before God. And that's the other thing, isn't it? To do as God's people when in distress. We cry out to God, we listen to God's word, and now number three, we confess our sins to him. Actually, our Anglican liturgy teaches us to do all those three things. and It models it for us. Uh, in our services, we cry out to God in prayer, we listen to His Word, we confess our sins to Him. That, that is a great model. Uh, uh, sometimes, because we're so familiar with it, we go through it with a, we can just go through it without heartfelt repentance, without true confession of sin. Now, don't despair about that. Probably we don't all have new big sins every week to repent of for the first time each week. Right? But we do learn from this pattern what it's like. Uh, we do learn from this pattern to, to come humbly before God, to examine ourselves, to bewail our sins, to seek God's pardon, and that is the right thing to do. That is the right way to relate to God. Uh, so Samuel brings the people together to pray for them. Uh, they confess their sins to God. Uh, back in the book of Judges, when God's people turn to him, what happens? God saves them through a judge. And Samuel, at the end of verse 6, he judges the people at Mizpah. Right, so he's not only the prophet, he becomes the judge, the, the, the political leader of God's people. But he's not just a judge either. Because the next thing we see is that when the Philistines hear that the people of Israel are gathering in Bispa, they decide to take the opportunity to attack. The people are scared. Right, this time, again, they still don't try and manipulate God. They beg Samuel in verse 8, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he might save us from the hand of the Philistines. Please, Samuel, keep praying for us. And so Samuel takes a, a nursing lamb in verse 9. He offers it a burnt sacrifice, an offering to God. And he cries out to the Lord for Israel. And the Lord answers him. See, he's not just a prophet. He's not just a judge. He's also being a priest. He's, he's like Jesus, isn't he? Our prophet, king, and priest. And just as Samuel's offering the burnt offering, the Philistines draw near to attack. And boom! God makes a mighty sound in verse 10 to, to wake up all the people who are falling asleep in the sun. I mean, to, 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 to frighten the Philistines and throw them into confusion. They are routed before Israel. And Israel go out from Mizpah and chase them down and kill many of them. And so Israel has a great victory that day. She is saved from her enemies because God hears the prayer of his chosen priest. 
And he does so in fulfillment of his word, given back in chapter 2 through Samuel's mother Hannah. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in the heavens. Jesus, our great high priest, prayed for the people of God. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, he said to Peter on one occasion. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. In John 17, there's a long prayer that he prays before he's arrested for all believers, including us. But you know, his work of praying for us is not finished. Hebrews 7.25 says that he, he ever lives to intercede for us. Israel needed to be saved from God's judgment on them in the, in the form of Philistine invasion. They repented by, by putting away their false gods and confessing their sins. Samuel offered a sacrifice to God. He prayed for them until the enemies were destroyed. And so it is with Christ. We needed to be saved from, from our judgment, from, from, from death, from hell. Jesus taught us to confess our sins, to turn away from them. And he offered his once and for all sacrifice on the cross, his own body. And now in heaven, he prays for us. And he will continue to pray for us until the last enemy, death, is defeated. And we stand before God in eternity, saved by him. And so the main application from this section for us is to be thankful that we have a great high priest. So that no matter what happens in life, we can be assured that there is someone praying for us. And that someone is none other than Jesus Christ himself. And because of his prayers, we can be confident that in the end, things will be okay. Well, can leaders learn from the example of Samuel? Our Christian leaders today don't have special access to God that's different from the rest of us. Uh, there is one mediator between God and man, and the man Jesus Christ. We all have the same access to God through him. But Paul does do a lot of praying for the churches that he serves. Then he also asks them to pray for him. Because praying for each other is still an important part of partnership and fellowship that God's people experience in the New Testament. And so if you're a Christian leader, make sure you diligently pray for the people that you serve. Maybe you can meet with other Christians to pray for some things. Maybe you make a point of praying at the end of the day for all the people you meet or interact with. Maybe you can quickly pray for people straight away when you meet them or you speak to them on the phone or you get an email or WhatsApp message before you forget. I've got a little app on my, on my, on my iPad called PrayerMate that helps me to remember different things to different people to pray for. Our different leaders will develop different systems. Doesn't matter. Find one that works for you. But if you're a godly leader, you must pray for the people whom you serve. And you can ask us, as God's people, to pray for you as well. Well, God saved his people uh, through, uh, uh, in, this, in, this, in this wonderful way as they repented and turned to him. But Samuel knows that people are forgetful. He knows that they will so easily forget that God has saved them from their enemies. And he was a leader who wanted to help God's people remember their salvation. And so in verse 12, he takes a stone 
and he sets it up between Mizpah and Shen, and he calls his name Ebenezer. Ebenezer means stone of help. For he says in verse 12 again, till now the Lord has helped us. Now, the stone was not meant to be worshipped or adored or anything like that. It was there to remind people of what God had done for them. Well, Jesus, our leader, did this for us as well. He's given us his word and his spirit to remind us. He's given us each other and other leaders to remind us. And he's given us something else as well. On the night before he died, he took bread, just like Samuel took the stone. And he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. He said, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant which is given for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Just like Samuel took a normal object and invested it with special significance, Jesus took a normal meal and invested it with special significance as well. And so every time we break bread and drink wine together, we remember. We remember the Lord's death until he comes again. We remember what God has done for us, that we were dead in our sins, facing his judgment and condemnation. We remember that Jesus died for us, that he took our sin, our guilt, our punishment, our shame, so we can be forgiven and given eternal life with God. Just as Israel needed to be, keep being reminded about what God had done to rescue them, we need to keep being reminded about what God has done to rescue us. And he has given us the Lord's Supper as one of those things that remind us. And so as God's people, as we share in the supper later, let's make sure that we remember. If you are a Christian leader, then please keep helping us, God's people, to remember his salvation. The Apostle Peter said in the New Testament that he would keep on reminding people as long as he was alive. And he wrote to Peter to remind people after he died. We all need reminding. We need to keep on hearing about God's rescue in the gospel again and again. So if you're a leader, keep reminding us of what God has done for us in Christ, in discussions, in studies, in books, in songs, in sacraments. We are God's people. We love Jesus. We will never get tired of hearing about our wonderful Savior and what he's done for us. Well, with Samuel as a judge, there's, there's finally peace in the land as Israel live under God's leader. Uh, in verse 13, the Philistines don't attack again. In fact, the territory that they previously taken from Israel is, is restored. The Amorites don't fight them either, so there's peace in the land. Uh, and Samuel, he keeps on going around in a circuit from Bethel, Gilgal, Mizpah, uh, judging Israel, uh, bringing justice to the land. Although the passage points out that his base is actually in Ramah, which brings us back to the beginning of the book. Because that's where his mom and dad came from in chapter 1. He's home. We've, got, we've actually come a, a full circle. It reminds us of that prayer of Hannah in chapter 2 that's now fulfilled in Samuel. 
And the prophecy, the prayer of Hannah in chapter 1, the prophecies of Hannah in chapter 2 fulfill in him, except the bit about the king. Samuel's the, the prophet, the priest, the judge. The chaos of the past seems to be over. And everything now seems to be good. When you are watching a movie and everything seems to be resolved and you're only 20 minutes into the movie, you know there must be a plot twist. And yes, a problem will soon emerge. But we won't worry about it until next week. In the meantime, good leadership has been restored to God's people, and that was something to be thankful for. And brothers and sisters, we as God's people live under the leadership of Christ Jesus. He is our prophet, priest, and king. There is no better leader we could possibly have. We enjoy the blessing of his rule even now, though we don't see his reign fully expressed at the moment. But when he comes again, it will be seen for what it is. Every knee will bow before him. Every tongue confess his lordship. And true leadership will be restored to this broken world. There will be no more plot twists after that, because that's the end of the story. And we really look forward to that. In the meantime, we as God's people should remember the lessons from this passage for us today. Let us be fully devoted to God, put away any idol from our lives. When in distress, let us humbly cry out to God, listen to his word, confess our sins, and seek his help. Let us keep remembering the salvation that he's won for us on the cross and use the reminders that he's set up for us to do so where we can. And let us appreciate the amazing reality that Jesus knows us, loves us, and is always praying for us. And let us keep living gratefully under him, our prophet, priest, and king. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, for giving us Jesus to lead your people. Thank you for giving us your word through him and, and calling on us to be fully devoted to you. And where we have failed to follow you properly, please, please bring us to genuine repentance. Thank you that he is our great high priest who is always praying for us. Oh, please help us to remember that we are never alone as we seek to persevere in following him in this fallen and painful world. I thank you that he reminds us of that great salvation he has won for us through his sacrifice on the cross. As we listen to your word, and as we share in the Lord's Supper, please help us to do so with joy, thankful that in him you have rescued us. And so we pray that you help us to live under Jesus, enjoying his loving rule, obeying his word, and looking forward to his coming. And we ask this in his name. Amen.